Oh, that's to be the youngest and the oldest pair of lungs. Oh, you're coming back for We are coming back. Okay, we are good. Okay. We are, are we live? We are live. We are live. Okay. Yeah. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for being here. Um, we are going to do some introductions later. When you see the part later that says steering committee icebreaker, the first thing you're gonna do is introduce yourself and then you're gonna answer that question. What is a beneficial change that you've seen in Lawrence community in your time here? So I'm priming you to be ready to answer that question as well as introduce yourself. So we're not gonna start by introducing everybody. We'll do it at that point as we go around the room because we have some exciting, stuff to start with. Oh, too kind. I mean, really, Becky is here to give us some rules of how to run a meeting as well as information on the open meetings. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. So first, um, just some housekeeping uh, items. Um, this is a uh, hybrid meeting, so just wanted to go through a couple things. Um, my name is Becky Pepper. I'm the planning manager. And um, uh, we have Kyle Kobe that is working the, the Zoom video portion of the meeting. Um, and so we'll work alongside the chair to facilitate these meeting proceedings. Uh, the meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. Uh, for those of you joining uh, via Zoom, please mute yourself during the meeting when you're not speaking. The chat function of this meeting is disabled and all chats will go directly to the Zoom facilitator. And unless you're participating in the meeting, please turn off your video. Um, this will allow the active meeting participants to be seen on screen and you can still be able to hear the meeting. Uh, when you're participating though, you can turn your video back on. And if you have any trouble, you can send a chat to the Zoom facilitator. The city does reserve the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions. And I think with that, I will head into the coma presentation. Please do. All right. Uh, if you will allow me to give you a brief uh, training on our Kansas Open Meetings Act, and then we will get this uh, boring stuff out of the way and move on to the fun stuff as quickly as possible. Uh, the Kansas Open Meeting Act was enacted by a Kansas legislator in, legislature in 1972, uh, and it is described as the cornerstone of public access to local and state government. Uh, as such, its fundamental purpose is to require local and state government to conduct business uh, of the public in public. POMA applies when two criteria are met. Uh, that the governmental body is a covered entity, and when that covered entity conducts, conducts a meeting as defined by COMA. Uh, the first of these two criteria is defined um, on, on this slide. COMA defines covered entity as all legislative and administrative bodies, state agencies, and political and taxing subdivisions that receive or expend or are supported in whole or in part by public funds. Um, and in case you're wondering, the steering committee is considered a covered entity. Uh, the second criteria that requires coma to be applied is when a meeting occurs. And under coma, a meeting occurs when there's any gathering or assembly in person or through the use of interactive communications, such as phone or email. Uh, the meeting must also be made by the majority of the membership of the body, which in this case is eight members. And it must be for the purpose of discussing the business of the body. So in the next few slides, we'll cover those three details and uh, cover those items in more detail. Interactive communication can occur through various means. Um, the most obvious is going to be in-person meetings um, with the majority of members present. But it can also include phone calls, work sessions, staff briefings, video conferencing, and online communications. Um, the mere fact that a communication is electronic does not raise a coma issue, but it can in certain instances. 
For example, one email to another member would not implicate COMA, but an email to the entire steering committee might. So in that vein, uh, be wary of hitting reply all if you do receive an email that uh, all the other steering committees have received. Um, as I mentioned, uh, this body, uh, there are 14 members on the steering committee, and so the majority of the body is eight. And then the last item that must occur for it to meet that definition of coma is that discussion or meet the definition of meeting is if there's a discussion of uh, business of the body. So individual members of the steering committee um, and even the majority uh, may gather at any time so long as they don't discuss business of the steering committee. Social gatherings or events are not subject to coma as long as eight or more member members uh, do not engage in discussion of the, the business or affairs of the steering committee. Um, you may also attend conferences or events where items of general interest are discussed, even those related to planning or items we may be discussing here, so long as eight or more members do not discuss the business of the body. Uh, the, uh, this relates to electronic communications as well. Um, the attorney general has indicated that the mere fact that a communication is electronic does not raise a coma issue as previously stated. However, if the majority of the body does um, use electronic communication to en engage in that interactive discussion, it would become a coma uh, issue. So again, going back to that, that email example, um, if a single email is sent to other steering committee members, um, it would not likely be considered a violation, but participation um, in a reply all or an online chat or instant messaging, um, those could be considered a violation of coma if um, because of its interactive nature. So it should be noted that um, uh, Facebook posts by steering committee members concerning the business of the body could constitute a meeting under COMA. In 2020, uh, 2020 uh, the Kansas Attorney General found that a majority of, of, of board members that were posting back and forth on social media about a recent government body vote did engage in, uh, in a meeting. So the takeaway is that it's important to keep in mind that the use of advanced technology can directly affect compliance with those important laws. Uh, members are encouraged to act uh, with caution when posting on Facebook or other social media and be mindful of whether the member of other members are communicating um, or commenting because engaging in a dis decision uh, discussion with the majority in any format will likely constitute uh, a violation of COMA. So again, uh, in that vein, avoid initiating an online discussion with other steering committee members through email. Uh, in the event that you receive an email with it about a city matter that other committee members were also sent or copied, again, avoid uh, hitting reply all. Along those same lines, PUMA also prohibit, uh, prohibits serial meetings. So a serial meeting would be a series of interactive communications involving less than a majority of the committee members that collectively involve uh, the majority uh, as uh, those uh, communications um, are sent down the line. Again, uh, the meeting must share a common topic of discussion concerning the business or affairs of the body. They must be intended by any or all participants to reach an agreement uh, or decision on any issue that would require binding action at an open meeting. So in review, uh, COMA applies when the body involved is a covered entity and when there is a meeting, and a meeting occurs when there is interactive communication by the majority of the body and the business of the body is discussed. Uh, in addition to the, the regulations on communications, COMA also uh, has requirements on um, all uh, uh, 
on meetings that are um, open to the public, um, that they be noticed and that they be held in places accessible to the public and be conducted so that the public may observe or listen to the proceedings. Um, COMA says to properly notice the meetings, um, you must notice the date, time, um, and place of any regular or special meeting um, if someone requests that. Um, and finally, it does say that it doesn't require that an agenda be created for the meeting. However, um, if one is created, it should include the topics that are planned for discussion. And um, however, it does not allow agendas, it does allow for agendas to be amended. And then finally, if uh, an agenda exists, copies must be made available to those who uh, request them. So I do apologize. I ran through so dry subject matter as quickly as possible to get you on the fun stuff, but is there any questions about any of that? I know for some of you, you've had this training many job. times. You did a good job. I've been involved with this and appreciate the overview. All right. Thank you very much. The clarity was good. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Well, with that, we'll get to the more fun stuff. Thank you all for agreeing to serve on this steering committee. And some of you might be wondering what that means and what you've volunteered for. And, um, you know, as a, as a city commission, we're excited to get um, going with this process. This development code update has been long coming and it's, um, you know, uh, needed under plan 2040 and, and needed just because we haven't looked at it for a while. And it's going to be a, a long process to get to the end. But it's going to be a process that includes the public, which they've already started on, and includes all of you helping inform and working with our consultants um, to get a product that eventually gets to the city commission. So kind of on that, um, we did have a, a process in which we hired a great consulting group to be part of this, um, the Clarion Group. And um, we're gonna start this with Elizabeth um, Galvin from Clarion is going to give us kind of an orientation of, of what, what the project is, what's the role of um, our committee as we see it, and then we'll get to some of the other items on the agenda. All right, give it short PowerPoint. Can everyone hear me at the other end of the room? Okay, all right. So, I'm going to go through this fairly quickly and we're going to switch into discussion points. Um, I'm going to let everybody know I have some hearing problems and uh, we're hearing aids. And if you see me over here fiddling with my phone, it's because I'm cranking up the volume so I can hear you. Okay. <laughs> and every now and then I might say, hey, could you just repeat that? Um, but I try to get it all in and we'll move forward from there. So I appreciate your patience. I'll not text my kids while we're sitting so we um, did our opening remarks. Thank you, Chairman Finkelberg. And we have a um, really hopping Kansas open coma. There, there's so no fun there, is there? No. <laughs> yeah. So project orientation. Let's do the project overview. Let's switch to the next slide, please. And what are our opportunities to see the whole slide? So we'll kind of explain with that. I'm going to start us. This is the drafting timeline for the project. We're really grateful that we've seen some of you in earlier meetings, and we're equally grateful that some of you are here for the first time. So if you've heard this before, um, just you know, tune in again one more time, and um, we'll walk you through what we're going to do. Thank you so much for that. And then this will also let you know kind of where we're going to be involved in the project. And so 
We are finishing up the project orientation. Um, it's August into September. I think tomorrow September. And project orientation is really for your consultancy. And, and that's me. I'm Elizabeth Garvin. I'm with Clarion's Denver office. I'm here with Gabby Hart, our associate in our office. I'm here with Matt Goble, who's one of our directors. And I saw Holly White's smiley face down here somewhere. Holly does um, our graphics and helps us get ourselves to more user-friendly product. Um, and so one of the one of the things that we're reaching for in this code is a more user-friendly product. So um, we've got Holly here thinking visually for us so we can understand how that code lands in the end. Um, so we do this project orientation where we're in town, we're talking um, to staff, we're talking to the public, we're talking to all of you. We've had um, yesterday and today, can we flip to the next slide? Thank you. So we've done some roundtable meetings um, up through transportation yesterday and today. So we met with people that wanted to be in the room on environment and natural resources, historic resources, rural areas, housing infrastructure, and transportation. Tomorrow we'll have um, a meeting that's organized around um, chamber and business issues and concerns. While all of these meetings have had a topic, They've also been open to any part of the code you want to talk about, but not surprisingly, since we pulled the topics from Plan 2040, we've gotten a lot of in fact, information about the topics. Um, in fact, um, we got off to a bit of a slow start and we've been picking up speed and we have been learning great amounts of information in hour and hour and a half increments, so much so that we're probably going to expand to some more virtual meetings and try to reach out to some more of the community um, and see what else we can get. So we'll tell you more about that later. And um, we've also done some open house meetings um, in North Lawrence and downtown at the train station, um, East Lawrence at the East Lawrence, at the rec center that we remember. Um, West Lawrence will be tomorrow uh, at the sports complex and South Lawrence, we were at Hilcom Park today. Um, so our, our open house meeting where we've moved out into the community, not such great attendance yet. And you know, it's that time of year, it's back to school. We're just getting the project going. Um, we happen to think a lot of people in Lawrence are going to want to say something about the project. And um, so this would be another place where we look to put our questions and information out electronically and then um, also talking about thinking about whether we need to get out to the community one more time as we move forward. And that'll be something we talk about as a group, right? Part of this group's um, work will be thinking about how we talk about this project internally and how we talk about it externally. Go back two slides. Um, oh, I'm sorry, one slide. Let's do the other one. Okay, so we're oriented. We're moving into code assessment. Code assessment is an assessment of the current regulations against the plans that guide the change. And we come up with a framework document for the new regulations. Or not in long sentences, we're gonna write a report about the work we're gonna do. And the goal of that report is to frame the changes um, that we see taking place in the code over time to get initial public feedback. Um, and so we write that report um, you know, more in a report format, less in code format. And we say things like, you know, hey, we know we need to get in um, to the lighting, the outdoor lighting regulations and move ourselves away um, from what is perhaps an overly complex form of regulation into something um, that we can do more jointly and make sure everyone's on the same page. That's our initial perception coming out of these meetings. So um, we share that with the community. We share that with the steering committee. We gather more input. 
Um, and then we move forward into drafting. We draft in three large segments, three installments. Um, and these are designed to put like information together and also to let everybody who we're asking to put the time into reviewing this document, do it in, in phases and not sit down with one full code. And so we'll draft zone districts and uses in one section. Um, we'll draft development standards and that's like parking and lighting and um, could be design, all the things that cut across multiple lots and developments. Um, that'll be the second section. And um, also subdivision goes in with development standards for the most part, and then administration and procedures. So how, how do we administer the code and where are opportunities um, for flexibility or for streamlining, or as we've learned over the last um, couple of days, where are opportunities to move ourselves from fairly subjective standards and requirements to more objective or more <coughs> standards and requirements. So that'll be one of the things that we're looking forward to doing the code. We will draft those and just like the code assessment, share them out with everybody. One of the um, other goals of this process is to be really transparent. The code gets adopted publicly in the end. Um, so there's no real secret place in there. It doesn't work well. So we just throw it out there and let people think about it and comment on it. So our goal is to encourage people to read the draft and comment on it. And if they want to talk to us about it, we want to be there to talk to them about it. Our team is working with a core team from the city staff, also working with an extended group of city staff. Um, we are trying to make sure that everyone in the city is pretty aware of the project um, and can funnel people into this conversation. So um, a couple ways for you guys to help. We have some business cards sitting right here that we'll um, send around. Everyone can take one or two, and they have the project website on it. Um, and this is how you can get people in to share business cards with them. Um, or, you know, you can just direct people um, to the staff or, you know, into the project. Um, so we've drafted all of this. We've taken comments. Um, we've considered where the revisions go. Um, towards the end of next year, we start pulling together what we call our consolidated draft. So that's all three sections together at one time. Um, first time it all comes together. And when we get there, we finally need to do some cleanup because there are some pieces that grind a little more than they should. Um, so we do a little more cleanup and then we get to um, a final land development code. Um, so I've explained in about four minutes what we're gonna spend the next two years of our lives um, doing together. Um, but if, the, if, if you know from this high where we're going, it's easy to remember when you're way down in the weeds somewhere. Let's go back up. Can I ask a quick question? Yeah. Um, this work constitutes a pretty substantial change in code. You know, clearly at the end, you'd, you'd, you'd imagine that. Um, I wonder what, when you get down to adoption and, and uh, final land, what is your company's role in helping us land that change management within our community, within the workings of the city? And, and do, you, do you also help us think about how we reflect new code against things that are in existing code where those things might not? So those are... Those questions spread all the way through the project. In order for us to write a code to flex the community, we need to have had conversations about community differences. How, how do we like to do this? Or, you know, why is this thing broken? And if we fix it this way, is that really going to fix it? So some of those conversations, easy and hard, we'll be having across the drafting process. It doesn't help our time, it doesn't help our time for us to just sit down and write something and say, here you go. 
So we're, we're going to go ahead and dive in and ask the question, why is it that the city commission is fiddling around with XYZ thing? Um, and is there a different way that we can do that? So hopefully we have set ourselves up to answer things in a way that works for us. The change adoption is inherent in the process of the- Absolutely. Um, We've got to learn our change as we go. Gotcha. Um, it's really hard to learn it at the end. Um, and so, and, and also it's a conversation about change, right? So we, we want to bring everybody along. It's people dig their heels in if you start change out them. Yeah. So, so we do that. Thank you. Then on the other end, the, on the other end, we're here for the adoption process. We, we, we're here to what is hopefully the happy end, not the bitter end, and for the celebration afterwards and talking to staff about the changeover, the rollover, and how we work new code, new code and old code together. Thank you. Okay. Back up. I'm going to just talk about a few things that where we are early on about expectations. And, and we know that a committee kind of comes together and gels over time. But we do want to share with you some of you know what we think you bring into the project, your knowledge and your insights about the community are probably the most invaluable thing that you're bringing to this project. Everyone's here because you know something about what goes on in Lawrence. Um, and so that goes back to the question we just answered. We all need to understand what goes on in Lawrence to make a code that works for Lawrence. So we'll be looking for your knowledge and insights. We will also ask you to provide us advice about update concepts and issues that we're touching on. We will bring things to you more in the form of a concept and an issue than in, you know, can you just read this section and edit it for us? It's not what we're looking for from you guys. Um, but you know, we might come in and say, well, you know, there are three different ways to get to better commercial design than we're seeing. Um, and so let's talk through, you know, the three different ways and we might decide we can toss two of them and keep one. So that would be as we're trying to narrow down um, and focus on how to approach something. We'll also ask you to help us guide the outreach messaging. You're going to know how we talk to Lawrence. What, what do we want to say? Where do we want to go with that? Um, what, what are people already knowledgeable about and where do we need to back up and do some education. Um, and so those are things we'll ask because as we're doing our drafting work, we will have outreach going the entire time because we want people to know that they're welcome to the project. What we don't um, need you guys to do, and hopefully everyone's going to breathe easy, nobody has to draft code. We will draft and present it to you. You can read it and you can talk to us about it, but we don't expect you to come into the meetings having done a red line edit or whatever your favorite color is, purple edits, doesn't matter. Um, we're conceptual, we're ideas. You'll see the draft. And if there's something that just really makes you think, uh-uh, we can talk about it. But really the expectation is to have a conversation about how it works at a bigger level and not the um, language of it. We also won't put you in a position of voting out preferences. Um, we'll talk through things if we find, you know, we have a split consent, we have a split in the group about something or another, we'll figure out how to send ideas forward that way. But the goal is for you to be trusted advisors and, you know, bring us along in the process, not to say, hey, you have to be a zoning expert and you have to pick. Um, so that's how we're trying to stay in a place of using what you're bringing to the table to everyone's best advantage. Last one, opportunities for input. It's not necessarily from you guys. This is more about the business part. Let's go two, three slides down, three, right there. 
One of the things that we ask during community do is be active in the community um, as space and project and boards project. And so right now, there are a few ways for people to get involved in the project. If they want to submit specific comments, there is a place, um, there's an email address and it's available on the website. That's development code updates at lawrencekansas.org. So if you have a paragraph or a treatise or whatever you want to submit early on, get it in, get ahead of everybody, that's where that goes. If somebody wants to sign up um, to receive emails about project updates, um, you go in through lawrence.org, community engagement, and development code update, and you check that you want to get the planning and development news newsletter. That's going to have information about the project in it. Um, and then finally, if someone wants to find the outreach schedule um, or participate in the current survey, there is a survey up currently. Um, you can go to lawrencekansas.org back, backslash LDC. And that's on the cards that we've handed out to everybody. So different ways to get involved now. And these will probably consolidate down a little bit as we move forward and have um, more things going in the um, outreach schedule. So I think that's it. That's it. So we're going to do an introduction, and our icebreaker question is: Tell us about a beneficial change that you've experienced, or been part of, or witnessed in the community. Focus on change, updating the land development code, takes in a lot of the conversations that you guys are having separately or together about change, and brings them into the regulations. And the thing we want to start with is a thought about successful change that we've seen in the community. Um, some things really well, some things you yeah, know. So, but let's start with the positive um, and we'll go around the table and I ask you first, if you don't mind. <laughs> so, and you've been around a while. <laughs> exactly. A little bit. So I wrote down that a beneficial change has been neighborhood and area plans. I think focusing on the district and allowing for um, development that doesn't have to be, you know, community-wide, um, but can just affect an area has been really helpful to Lawrence because we are a diverse community. With this opportunity to talk, I also want to mention I'm so appreciative of having the opportunity um, to be part of this group because um, my legislative experience is difficult as best at best. <laughs> so being part of a group that's really focusing on finding real suggestions and solutions is just a delight. Thank you. Um, but Cinder, go ahead and. I'm sure everyone here knows you, but just to model for everyone else, go ahead and say your name, oh. you do, a little bit about yourself, <laughs> and why you're on the committee, basically, as we get into that. Okay. Senator Marcy Francisco, <laughs> a resident of the Orient Neighborhood Association, um, a resident in Lawrence since 1974, and a part of... <clears throat> the Orient Neighborhood Association, serving on the city commission, uh, serving as a member of the zoning, uh, what are we, the zoning Plans. commission? Yeah. Um, League of Women Voters, um, 
but just really caring about this community and so appreciative of all the others who have demonstrated their interest in moving us forward. That's gonna be hard to follow. <laughs> but Rebecca gets to try. Yay. Rebecca Buford, I am the executive director of Tenants to Homeowners, and I have been developing affordable housing in the Lawrence community for 22 years. Um, and that's what brings me to this group. And one of the most positive changes recently in our silo, but I think it it reflects, you know, kind of some of the change we need in the development code is um, the smart density bonus where we pushed our foot and opened the door a little bit for some density because we had a lot of people, you know, most of my people that need affordable housing are seniors, singles, and millennials. So, you know, we have this idea of this big need for big single family houses. And the reality is most people in Lawrence need little things, little, littler houses. So um, looking at, well, gosh, we could lower our cost if we just allowed to build two little houses on one lot. Um, and that was exciting because I think, again, it just made us like, okay, we weren't ready to have massive, dense apartment <clears throat> complexes, but two little houses in, you know, and what we found is that's all over older neighborhoods, anyway, right? That exist well before the good old mother-in-law house, or you're not supposed to call it that anymore, but we all know those. <laughs> um, and so, uh, I just, I love that we're kind of circling back around to that idea of what do we need in this community, which is a variety of shapes and sizes of housing types and a good mixture of them. Um, and so I love that we're embracing that because I think Lawrence embraces a good eclectic mixture. That's part of what makes, gives us the character of Lawrence. And the reality is if we don't have a mixture of housing types allowed by development code, we're gonna lose that healthy mixture. So that's what I want to see not happen. I'm Gary Rexrode. Um, I've uh, been in Lawrence 22 years, and I've come to understand that you can't be a Lawrencean unless you, you're either born here or die here. So <laughs> while I won't ever be able to enjoy the title, I do plan to earn it. Um, I've, been a, uh, I've been a part of, uh, of the Lawrence community in a number of different ways, currently serve on the Planning Commission. And um, and op am operating as a member of the steering committee as a, we're calling it a shadow member um, to provide continuity uh, for planning commission representation as Jim Carter's role changes. Um, there's so many things that are positive that I, I could cite, but just one simple thing that I I really enjoy my family does is our appreciation for prioritization of multimodal transportation and how that's shown up in the expansion of our trail system. Um, I'm Danielle Davey. I am here as the real estate representative. Um, I'm currently serve as the governmental affairs director for the Lawrence Board of Realtors, and I'm also a practicing attorney here in town. I do a lot of real estate law, but I also do a lot of like child and native care, foster care stuff, which gets me involved. <laughs> Families looking for housing, and I see how difficult it is, particularly for folks who are on the low income side or who have poor rental histories or things like that. So, uh, housing plays a big role in multiple different areas of my practice. So um, 
I was trying to think about some development. I've been here for 21 years um, and I've been trying to think of development that was positive in that time. And what I kept coming back to was a lot of sort of community amenities that we've really invested in as a community. The Lawrence Loop, the new library that uh, was built, uh, Rock Chalk Park, really as a community invested in a lot of amenities uh, that we can all enjoy together. So I think that's a very positive development. Thanks. Uh, my name is Eric Wagner. I'm representing a general contractor builders for the committee. Um, I serve on the Lawrence Home Builders Association board. And uh, as I was thinking about the positive, uh, I've been in Lawrence 25 years. Um, Becky kind of hit on uh, density and the changes for setbacks that allow some diversity for like how we orchestrate neighborhoods and do developments. Um, the accessory dwelling unit, you know, was interesting. That provided opportunities for, you know, some housing for people that wouldn't necessarily need a large house. And then most recently I got to participate in a live work development, um, which was kind of fun to do. And we'll see how successful that is over the next few months. Hopefully we can get them sold. So I'm excited to be on the board and learn more about the development side that gets me to building houses. Um, my name is Nick Kuzmiak. I serve on the Multimodal Transportation Commission. I'm the current chair. Um, I'm probably the newest and youngest person on this board. I've been here for five years. So this is the first place that I've moved to over a lot of places that I've lived that I've, I've liked enough to want to get involved in. So um, it's great that there's also the opportunity to get involved in. Um, that was not the case in Houston, Austin, Philly, and D.C. So it's nice to finally be in a place that I like enough to want to, you know, utilize my passions for you know, urbanism, transportation, all that kind of stuff. So that's my background. Um, the beneficial change that I've seen, we're going to get a little technical, but Article 9 of the Land Development Code was redone back in 2020, I think. Um, and I think it was a pretty positive change for the most part. There's a lot of really sort of detailed changes that were a part of the overall evolution of parking, loading, and access standards. But I think overall, it was a beneficial change. And I think it also showed kind of how different silos can work together. So between the Planning Commission, City Staff, MMTC, and also City Commission, I think we got a pretty good outcome between the four of our silos. So, yeah, Article 9. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm an environmental engineer by trade. I like details. Well, I am an attorney. My name is Travis Herod. I've lived in Lawrence for 20 years, all in when you throw in KU undergrad. Um, I've lived in a number of communities around the nation, and like Nick, I found myself here, and I'm happy to be here, and I and I might earn my Laurentian title as well before it's all through. Um, I am as a member of the Lawrence Association of Neighborhoods. I'm in my third term as chairperson of that organization. I don't know if that's a sign of esteem or if I just can't get out of the room fast enough. <laughs> so... Um, I'm really happy to be here with so many, you know, great, I recognize a lot of you people. I look forward to getting to know those that I don't know. Um, when Brad asked us to talk about an improvement that I've seen in the community, I can remember when I was here as an undergrad, um, I was chairperson of KU on Wheels, the transportation board for two years. And that was the only public transportation in Lawrence at that time. And it was around that time that 
the city and KU started talking about least synergies that could be experienced between KU on wheels and, uh, and, uh, Lawrence Public Transportation. If there's those of you that don't remember K on Wheels, well, it's because some synergies did happen. So imagine, you know, my delight when I came back to Lawrence that K on Wheels is gone and we have a great and very robust public transportation program. So I remember I was there at the beginning of that and I remember being, and I continued to be impressed by the commitment that our community has shown towards that, I think. And here in the year, we're going to have, or very shortly, we're going to have free buses for a year. I think that's amazing. And talking about, you were talking about your clientele, my clientele would love that. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, we live in a time of forced mobility. So being able to get on uh, a safe and reliable form of transportation and go where you need to go is amazing. So there, I think I covered everything. <laughs> Uh, I'm Tim Stoltz. Uh, I'm, I think, the development industry appointee. Uh, I was born in Lawrence, so I am Laurentian, 1969, just down the street here. Uh, and I was thinking about it, probably, I think the second high school being built was probably a pretty big deal. I remember uh, probably in 1987 when I thought I was a really good baseball player. Tried out for the baseball team. Uh, surely I was the 18th best baseball player in the town. They kept 17. So I really appreciate the fact that there is a second, you know, second sports team on all. But uh, I joke. I don't think I was the 18th best baseball. Player. <laughs> but I enjoy baseball. So. Uh. Hi, my name is Kay Johnson, and I'm the sustainability and environment manager for Prosico and. I am also the representative for the Sustainability Advisory Board. And a positive is I know, or I feel like, well, I've been in Lawrence for eight years, but um, I believe that the Land Development Code, the last time it was developed, probably didn't have a Sustainability Advisory Board representative. Uh, since the uh, last year when the strategic plan was developed by the city, a significant portion was devoted to sustainability issues and elements that are incorporated into all the divisions of the city. So overall, I'm really excited to be at the table, be able to provide input um, from our advisory board. And I know that all of you are interested in some elements of sustainability for Lawrence because you're here. I'm Philip Struble. Um, I have a company called Land Plan Engineering. I, th- I think I'm representing the engineering design group uh, of Lawrence, uh, and uh, I've been here since uh, 1986. And throughout that whole time, been very intimately involved in the growth of Lawrence and zoning issues, land use issues, growth of Lawrence, what's going on. So um, I, I I know that pretty well. Uh, and I'm I'm happy to be here. I'm looking forward to uh, improving what we got, you know. Uh, and I think there's a there's a, a, a way to get to something that's going to be uh, beneficial for all the voices that are at this table. Um, you know, probably one of the most beneficial things. Uh, and and I was thinking about this this weekend with the news of, of uh, Gary Tobin passing at that. Uh, um, I, I think one of the beneficial things I've been involved in and I've seen it was the creation of East Hills Business Park um, back in the late 1980s. And, and you know, the park you know, is kind of a, a 
I'm not so sure I'd even call it a success, but what the outcome of that was, was a community group called DCDI um, that then turned into the Lawrence Economic Development Com Committee Commission that uh, the city participates in, the county participates in. And what's unique about that is it provides a voice for something that most of us on a regular basis don't think and talk about, and that is the industrial growth of Lawrence. You spend a lot of time and our focus is on our families and residential and, and neighborhoods and those kind of topics. And, and the industrial component in recruiting people to come to town, quality jobs, uh, finding a quality place for them to work uh, on a regular basis. And, and this provides a, a platform for that that normally uh, would not exist if it wasn't for the creation of that. So I keep thinking back on what a unique uh, creation that was for all of us. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commission representative here, um, and then Lawrence since 1992, so I guess we're at 30 years in the same house for 28 years now um, in the Barker neighborhood. Uh, we moved into the Barker neighborhood in 94, and within two weeks, I was secretary of the Barker Neighborhood Association, so was an officer in that association up until, I guess, around 2000, where I started being the land rep. And then I was an officer in the land up until 2005 as treasurer. And got to learn puns from Marcy during that time because she was a regular attendee back then. Then <laughs> um, I six years on the Board of Zoning Appeals from, I think, 2015 to 2012. And now I've been on the Planning Commission since January of 2016. Um, land plan engineering has forced me to learn lots and lots and lots about the code. And I always look forward to when Paul Werner's there because we always get into nitty gritty sometime. And I think it's always helpful in the long run. So I've learned tons from a lot of people around the table here. Um, what do I, I, I think plan 2040 is the biggest thing we've done recently. I think I'm the only one in the room whose name is actually in this thing on this, but uh, that's why we're here you know, to make the code hit plan 2040. Uh, we've seen the density issues pop up. We have equity issues we have to address that go along with that, with the with the lot prices and everything else that has to do with everything. How do we mix things up and, and make this a more accessible community for everybody and all the types of land uses that we have? I'm Deborah Ford. I'm an architect. That's the position that they asked me to fill on the uh, committee. I have been in Lawrence since for a long time, over 30 years. Um, went to school here and stayed. Um, I've seen a lot of movement while I've been here with the transportation, which has been awesome. The trails have been huge. For my family and for you know exercise and just being able to reach and walk um you know the pedestrian plan has been great and the fact that we're looking at land development code and improving it and making it um give us guidance in the future is exciting to me 
um, Brad Finkelguy. I'm an attorney here in town, been here for 25 years. Uh, live in the Hillcrest neighborhood, but lived in Prairie Park before that, and served on the planning commission for six years. And I agree with everyone here on just trying not to repeat. Plan 24 you was going to be one of mine. Um, trail some of these other ones. But I guess what I will say is you know, when I was on the planning commission, um, we spent a lot of time. I remember one of my favorite meetings it was two in the morning, and we were talking about where the bench should go. Should the bench be closer to you know to here or closer to there. And we we made some changes to the code after that that freed up some of that and allowed um, to focus on the big picture. And did we go maybe far enough? Maybe not, but. Um, I know Jim and Gary and others had some late meetings, but at least you're not talking about benches at two in the morning. And um, I, I do think, you know, we've, we've seen this, um, um, we've seen changes over time, and, and I look forward to this not just being a small change to a code, but, you know, starting over with a vision and having a brand new code that we can, um, we can work from. And, like I said, I appreciate all of you being here to help in that process. Am I the last person to Wow, okay. Um, since I'm last, I'm gonna take the liberty. Full disclosure, I'm hungry right now. <laughs> so when Brad asked about, uh, you know, the improvements, beneficial change, I said, I immediately thought three restaurants opened during the time I've lived here. Taco Zone, Leeway Franks, and Thai Diner. Okay. <laughs> so I'll start with that. My name's Derek Kwan. I work at the LEED Center of Kansas, which is the Performing Arts Center here at, in Lawrence and at KU. Um, I, other than Nick, I have lived here the least amount of time. Um, for, the, for the committee, I've lived here since 2000, January of 2014. Our family moved here. Um, and in all seriousness, I think the, the most beneficial change that I've seen, it actually relates to uh, what uh, Phil Struble mentioned. And it, it is the adoption and then the subsequent extension of the Catalyst Program, which uh, benefits industrial development, which I, I think is, you know, a, a great program for the city and great program for our community. So um, I will conclude by saying that I, I really uh, appreciate the opportunity to serve um, on this committee. I'm currently the chair of the Chamber Board, and that is the quote-unquote role I'm filling. And... Um, I love coming together with folks that come from very different backgrounds and diverse backgrounds and, and having conversations. I think it's super valuable and it's what we need today in this current state of society. Since I had to go first, I'm going to mention <laughs> that I was the one that proposed the consent agenda <laughs> for the city commission. We <laughs> saved a lot of time and I'm also an Eva Lambert. All right. Um, thank you all. That was a great list. That's very helpful. You all have been here a long time. There's a lot of longevity in this room, and you've seen a lot of change uh, for the most part. And that's it's, it's inspiring. It's actually a great opportunity for us to build on with new change. Uh, again, Matt Goble with Clarion Associates. I'm part of the Clarion team. So we now want to switch the conversation a little bit more towards moving forward. You've talked about a lot of the change that you've seen, but we want to transition this conversation into what you want to get out of this process and what your priorities are. 
and maybe you can be a little critical about some of the things you've seen in the past, but also really, what do you want, what, how do you define success for a new land development code for, um, for Lawrence? So we have a slide here that talks about some big picture questions. This is to get y'all thinking about some of the things that we'll be thinking about as we rewrite your code. This is not an exhaustive list. There's important things that are not on this list and we can cover them like sustainability, but these are, these are some things that we'd like to maybe get you thinking about. I'm gonna walk through these, uh, just explain what we're thinking. And then we'd like to go around the table again uh, and have you uh, talk about your priorities. And uh, just because of the, the size, we'll probably ask you to think about your top two. Think about the top two things that you'd like to see. So a lot of issues to cover in a zoning code update. Um, one of the first things is the zoning districts. You know, we think about the way that the city is geographically divided into, you know, a slate of residential districts, you know, residential single-family, residential multifamily. You've got some mixed-use districts. You've got some industrial districts. You've got planned development districts over on the side that created their own rules. You've got some smart code districts that are out there. This type of project provides <laughs> us an opportunity to step back and think about, is that the right toolbox for you? The right toolbox to implement Plan 24. Maybe some of those districts could be consolidated for very similar purposes or similar uses. Maybe you don't have some of the districts you need, like some mixed-use districts to implement Plan 24. So you might have some comments about the lineup of districts and lots. Similarly, you know, the land use is allowed within the districts. They'll have a use table, but it's, it's a little bit dated at this point. And we've already heard comments from a lot of the stakeholders about the need to really do a close look at the slate of residential use types to make sure that you're allowing a diversity of residential uses. We've heard about the, the uh, maybe some inflexibility in the industrial use types. And so you might have some comments about particular uses in the city that, that have been controversial or that you'd like to see improved. One of the big lenses that we'll be looking at in the new code is not just greenfield development, but making sure that you've got a tailored code that uh, recognizes infill and redevelopment opportunities and, and thinks about maybe relaxing certain rules for, for unusual lot sizes, things like that. So are there places in Lawrence that would be especially good for infill and redevelopment? What would those look like? What would some of the barriers in the current code be to infill and, and how we can address those? There's a whole bucket of process issues here too. Development review. Who makes what decisions? You know, what have you delegated down to the staff? You know, what is the planning commission deciding? Uh, what are the criteria, you know, by which you're deciding a rezoning? What's the nitty gritty details, you know, of the site plan application? All those types of things are on the table in a project like this. We can step back and think about efficiency. Are you getting the small stuff through as fast as you can so that you can reserve your officials time for the bigger, more important projects that have community-wide impacts. So y'all might have comments about process. We've already heard from several of you in the room about y'all's experience in the system, you know, just submitting rezoning applications and challenges you've had with that. This is another big lens uh, that we'll think about, equity and inclusion. And we're, think, we're talking here both about the development of a new code and then also the application of a new code. Is it equitable in terms of all members of the Lawrence community? Is it inclusive? And does everyone have an opportunity to participate in an equal level, again, both in the development of the code and its outcomes? Um, got a catch all down here at the bottom. You know, I, I haven't covered a lot of stuff. Again, sustainability is a good example of things that you all mentioned as tough priorities, um, but, but that's not here. Transportation is another important one as well. Um, just generally, you know, what's the biggest criticism, if any, that you have about the current codes? Uh, and maybe, 
you might want to flip that. You might want to just say, what's the thing you like the most about the current code? Maybe it's the new Article 9 that needs to be carried forward. Uh, but just just anything that we haven't covered up here that you really want to emphasize as your priority for the code. Again, totally not an exclusive slide, but um, you all have just demonstrated that you've got a real wide range of interests. And so this is to get you thinking about the full range of issues on the table. Um, our job later on when we come back with the assessment report is going to help organize all these thoughts, organize all this feedback that we've heard, and, and to start to suggest some options and some examples from other places. But right now, we're just trying to listen, and we're just trying to hear about y'all's priorities. So um, we're going to go back. We're going to go back around the table. And this is big picture stuff. I guess before we jump into the responses, I would remind you, um, let's see, we have the survey online. Elizabeth mentioned that. And you'll be able to give us a lot more detail there than you can cover today. And we're also going to leave the boards up after the open houses out in the hall. And so if you want to just stick around after the meeting, uh, you're welcome to put comments up there. And I'll, ju I'll jump in here before and maybe we'll have Marcy uh, say a couple things. One, um, you know, we'll all get a chance to weigh in on things. So, you know, this is the first of many. So you don't have to say everything today. Hopefully we can focus on two things. But I do think, you know, um, you know, I, I think I want to hear at least from obviously do what you want, but I want to get kind of hear really what the big picture issues are that are going to come back through. Um, not so much, you know, again, that might have a problem with Article 9, Section 15.2. We don't necessarily need to get to that detail. Kind of, you know, kind of big issues. Um, but I know Nick has lots of the big issues. And those are some of the ones I'm most interested in. So I'm going to start, and then we'll go back to most and we'll, we'll go around. Um, you know, I, you know, number one and number two, you know, I've, I've done a lot of, you know, not every place has zoning districts and land uses. And how far do we go? Do we need all the zoning districts? Um, you know, Houston doesn't even have a zoning code. Um, and, you know, they have 1,400 square foot lot sizes. And California has ADUs. Um, Minneapolis doesn't really have zoning districts. You know, I'm really interested in if we, if Plan 2040 says we're going to be environmental, so we're going to be dense, we're going to have infill, and we have an affordable housing issue. Um, I'm really interested in a code that allows that, allows density, allows for multimodal transportation. And I don't necessarily want this to be a tweak of the code we have now. I want this to be, here are our goals, how are we going to get there? And that could be ADUs, that could be minimum lot sizes, that could be Little or no zoning districts. Um, I'm very interested in all those uh, big picture concepts. But mostly go ahead. Okay, I'm going to say that zoning districts, we need to look at more opportunities for mixed use because it, it's going to work better if there is residential and commercial and maybe a little industrial combined. Um, I hope we can identify some areas that could benefit from redevelopment and increased density, but coming from the neighborhood that has the highest density in Lawrence, um, I want to see that more shared throughout the community, 
rather than just focused. Um, so there we go. I always say that um, neighborhoods are like mixed breed dogs. They, they do the best when they're mixed. Um, and it's kind of uncouth way of saying it probably, but <laughs> it's a good, I, I think people get it. Like, you know, they're more resilient and you have a good mixture. And so for my silo and affordable housing, the last thing we want to do is build Cabrini greens, right? We, we've learned to not have projects that where we put, you know, lowest income people all together. So I feel like the biggest challenge to not do that is development code. And so having that mixture where we, and then there's not a project or that side of town or that area, but if it's assumed that it's built in in every neighborhood, then there is no that neighborhood, right? So we, we it's a way to be inclusive without forcing one neighborhood to be inclusive and the other one doesn't have to be. And so I really think we have this opportunity because Lawrence is not so divided. We have some really kind of historically mixed use and mixed size neighborhoods. And so we really could redefine that and look at, um, you know, allowing different types of buildings. And then density doesn't become a bad word if we can have ability to create community and family type buildings and lovely green spaces and sustainable trails. Then you don't need a giant yard to mow. You've got green space to travel in. Um, so some of that is really being more creative than what our code allows us to do right now. So that's really what I challenge us to do. I, uh, after listening to the last couple of days of feedback um, across all these different topics, I find it difficult to choose two that I put at the top of the list. And, and instead, this may be copying out, but I, the big issues that we have seem to cut across um, many of those things, and what I wrote down for really understanding the task was um, housing and how we get at the housing stock we need to accomplish both the anticipated growth as well as um, affordability. And then how do we remove friction and cost from commercial development and growth so that we can pay for all of this? Those are the kind of the categories that I think about it. And if I'm forced to just choose that, I don't, I'm not sure I can. Um, I can make a case for any one of them. I agree. I'm in the same position. Um, my focus obviously is on housing. I'm, that's my area of interest and that's part of why I'm here. So um, I think we need to look at ways in the code to diversify our housing stock. Um, we've got a lot of single family, we've got a lot of apartments, but how do we diversify that and do more ADUs, do more duplexes or triplexes? Is there an appetite for tiny homes? I think our market has needs at every single level. And I think we should be exploring ways to not only add to our housing stock, but to diversify it. And that doesn't just mean building new housing stock. That means how do we rehab housing? How do we repurpose housing that we already have? Um, and right now there's not a lot of flexibility in our code to, to do those kinds of projects. So looking at ways to create some flexibility, both to Rebecca's point to sort of diversify what are in different neighborhoods, um, but also diversify how we're, how we're approaching housing development and trying to encourage that and make it a little easier for those of us in the community, or not us, those of you in the community that are actually out there developing um, 
housing stock for us. Yeah, great. I would reiterate everything you just said, um, but also add to the idea of like for construction, um, more accessible commercial development and industrial to help supply the demand of just construction in Lawrence. So we're not looking outside of Lawrence to bring suppliers and vendors and subcontractors in. There's a big like need within our own industry of construction to find resources. And it'd be great to have facilities in Lawrence that can house them and create taxable revenue. So I just want to make sure I understand the prompt correctly. You said top one or two of any of those or in just the zoning district? No, on the whole slide, the whole slide, all, all the topics. Okay. And it doesn't have to be on the slide. It could be your top priorities for the project, even if they're not. Okay, I think I can do that. Um, first one is under zoning districts. Um, if you've all heard of the idea of a 15-minute neighborhood, a couple of folks have already touched on that. But the idea that everything that you need for daily life, except maybe your job, is available within a 15-minute walk or bike from where you live. Um, there are a couple of neighborhoods that are like that in Lawrence, but definitely not all of them. And as the son of a transportation planner, I've been kind of passively absorbing this stuff for pretty much my whole life. So <laughs> a really fun statistic, super fun, is that 84% of all car trips that are made at afternoon rush hour are not for work. So if we can start to chip away at that 84% by being able to walk to stuff that you need to do anyway, whether that's the soccer field, the school, church, um, that'll severely reduce the amount of cars that have to be on the road at any one time. So again, I'm a transportation guy. This is kind of where I stand, but the other one is under equity inclusion. So um, I guess there's kind of a couple to choose from, but I guess just in general, um, as you probably know, America and Canada are pretty car dependent, right? Cars are expensive. Cars are getting much more expensive. Gas is getting much more expensive. A lot of people can't drive or should not be driving, um, but everybody kind of has to. If you want to go anywhere, in most cities and most part of the US, you have to have a car and that's really tough. Folks who don't have a license, can't get one, are, are disabled. And that's kind of a huge equity issue um, is that we have a bus system and it's okay, but buses work a lot better when you have density and mixed uses. We have sidewalks, they're great, but if it takes an hour to walk anywhere, it doesn't really matter, right? So um, equity in transportation depends greatly on equity and development and regulations as well. I have heard a lot of interesting conversations in LAN over the years, and I'll drill down into a couple that I think really dovetail with stuff that folks have, have already talked about. On the one hand, I hear a lot of talk about you know, notice requirements when someone comes forward, you know, it's site plan or, you know, zoning variance or something, who gets noticed, what, what radius, the lead time for the notice. That is a perennial conversation. I'm sure that Jeff is, he, he's aware. <laughs> okay, he's, this is the first time he's heard that. Um, so, but yet there's always room for improvement there. And like I said, that is a perennial thing that gets talked about, you know, in that organization. But I'll also tell you something else that gets talked about in that organization is, is we've heard when builders and developers have come and talked with us about, you know, the state of play in Lawrence. We talk about, you know, let's build affordable houses. Okay, how do you build affordable house when the land costs $100,000? The bank won't loan us the money to build a $200,000 house on a $100,000 piece of land. It isn't going to happen. Um, and so we're cognizant that we need to do things 
So here I talk about we need to drill down on requirements like notice, but yet we're also cognizant we want to do things that make it so that builders and developers can, can add stock to the community and do so in ways that are perhaps less onerous, that give them freedom to do what, what we want them to do. We talk and talk and talk about affordable housing or high density, but yet we've talked about it here today. We have to put the pieces in place so it can actually happen, this high density, this mixed use, these affordable houses. So those are things that we talk about a lot, a lot, a lot, you know, within the neighborhood associations. Uh, I had a list of things here. Probably my two things were uh, kind of land use. Um, all of our comprehensive plans now are talking about infill development and higher dense type developments. And as an applicant, when you bring forward those types of projects, they usually aren't looked on very favorably by the neighbors. Um, so what you end up fighting, it can be a perfect, you can have staff approval, you can have traffic study, it's fine. You can have everything's perfect. You're like, oh, this is the best application I've ever had. But if you get down there and, some, and the neighbors stand up and they're the constituents of your elected officials, it might not go your way. And so I, the hardest part is, you know, if we're going to make this plan and say, these are the donating districts, this is what we want. This is plan 2040. This is how we want to grow. You got to approve the plans. You got to approve the projects. You know, I mean, you got to find a way to make it happen, you know, because otherwise I'm not going to be bringing stuff like that to get it forward. Uh, the second thing uh, is the development review. Um, man, if I don't have to send an engineer and an attorney to a neighborhood meeting that is attended by nobody again, <laughs> that, would, that would really be useful. <laughs> Well, I have to agree with Rebecca in the analogy. I like the analogy she used for mixed use. I, I really feel that the sustainability is mixed use. And um, we need to be looking at live, work, play um, in every little community that we develop in this community. So little communities, uh, little pocket neighborhoods, those sorts of things make... Uh, a smaller, unaffordable living still great. And everyone deserves a healthy and great place to live, no matter what neighborhood they live in in Lawrence. Um, so the sustainability group, um, our advisory board um, has several things. And I would say initially, we are interested in anything renewable. So electrification, those sorts of things that can be considered at renewable energy sources into development, anything that can be um, solar ready. We've already submitted a draft ordinance uh, for solar ready and uh, that hadn't been acted on yet. Um, also, we submitted a noxious weeds invasive plants and uh, ordinance that should include, include uh, native plantings, more um, instead of just let's measure how tall the grass is, um, you know, we want other plants, we want pollinators, we would like to see a lot of different um, types of landscaping uh, options available. And um, and I, I can say one thing, I was trying to get some different plants put in at one of our buildings and 
our vice president said we, we can't because if we do anything to that landscaping, it's going to change and the, what the code is said, and then we're going to have to add more trees or something like that. And I'm going, wait a minute, a, a code shouldn't dictate what's important to a property. And um, I've still got to get into that. But um, but those are the types of things that, that I feel like our sustainability advisory board would like to see. We, or I would like to see, um, obviously, it's transportation, multimodal, anything that we can do to, uh, it's fantastic, the bike paths and those sorts of things. There's still accessibility issues, though, and some parts of the neighborhoods don't have access. And then, obviously, commercial and industrial need to be included in, so that people where people work, they can live uh, nearby so that they don't have to have a very expensive vehicle to get around. I've got uh, a lot of ideas for goals. I'm, I've got two I'll mention right now. One, um, we've had an office in uh, Houston since... Uh, 2009, and uh, I got to tell you, the first three or four years down there with their zoning code lack, and, and and quite frankly, it's not that they don't have a zoning code; they don't have any. They don't do building inspections. Uh, I mean, they just they just you just go build it, right? And the first four or five years down there, I was a wreck. I just could not believe that they would do this. And now you drive through some of those neighborhoods and some of them that were getting built right now and designing right now. And they're great, you know, and because there's no zoning code, you know, you imagine all these disasters and all this kind of crazy stuff is going to happen. And it doesn't. And you want a walkable neighborhood and you get a lot of uh, uh, pop up businesses in the middle of neighborhoods that just fit right in. Um, I just discovered one my last trip down there. They, you know, a lumber yard is in the middle of a neighborhood. And these people, you know, I thought, this is just insane. And, you know, and I talked to some of the people who live there, and they thought, this is the greatest thing in the world. You know, I can, you know, if I need to get some light bulbs or change the locks on my door, I mean, it's a West Lakes kind of deal. And they can, and it had, zoning had nothing to do with it. And it was just an entrepreneur popped up, started this business, met with the neighbors, and everybody just loves it. And, uh, you know, so my point with that is what I'd like to try to bring to the table is a little bit of, how much are we adding to our, our codes that is just fear-mongering? It's just stuff that we're just imagining that just snowballs on top of each other and it gets worse and worse and worse and has nothing to do with what actually happens in place. Uh, and, you know, we overkill so much up here and I see it down there and they don't need any of that kind of oversight. They don't need any of that kind of supervision to make sure that they do, we do it perfectly. Yeah, it's a little different down there, but they just, you know, it just, it, it's part of their culture down there. It's part of their nature and it works just great. And so I'd like, kind of like to try to bring a little bit of that to the table saying, you know, what, what do we, what have we got in our code that makes it 325 pages long that we don't really need because it's just something that we imagine might happen. So that's, that's number one on the plate. The number two on the plate is we've got to jump the iron curtain. It's called the SLT that goes around our lawns. And we have got to figure out how to make our annexation policies and how we grow Lawrence uh, uh, passed over that deal. We haven't been able to get over it, you know, in how many years, you know, it's been 
what, six years since they built the two lanes to finish it. And uh, man, it is just impenetrable right now mentally for a lot of people. And we have got to figure out what are we doing that just is prohibiting us from planning on how to get over there because a lot of our things that we do as a community, uh, as we do as a city, as we do as a county, man, we hit that hit that SLT and we just can't figure out how to get past it. And we have got to think of what are we doing in this code that is going to not only allow that to happen, but maybe, maybe it ought to encourage it to happen because it's going to happen sooner or later. And, and uh, how, can, how can we help everybody see that happen? So those are my ideas. Yep. The list can go on and on. <laughs> um, I think some of the, the biggest ones is to increase density to re-examine the, the districts, the zoning categories we have. I mean, we see absurd things happen, uh, like neighborhood commercial. You have you put in a little neighborhood commercial spot, and you have to be X number of feet from the next one. We just had one of those, and because we couldn't put in a second neighborhood of commercial, we had to change it to light industrial, which makes no sense. Um, those categories are not very useful anymore. We have the West Hills Business Park IBP, which has never worked. That one's come up a lot. So now we've got up again. Yep. It always keeps coming up. So we've got all these um, conditional zonings. I think we're up to five of them throughout there that are going to cause a problem in how we how the rest of that area <clears throat> develops. Um, instead of minimum lot sizes, maybe maximum lot sizes that that <clears throat> encourage smaller, which helps with the cost of infrastructure, the more you can connect in the smaller section of pipe, the more efficient it is for the ongoing cost to the, the city. Um, so this just goes on and on. We've, we've come across so many absurdities and we we're, I assume we're gonna be looking at variance process. What would be have variances? Um, our non-conforming use section is almost in, you can't really tell what is and what isn't, and what's a permissible non-conforming use, and then just straight <laughs> non-conforming use, and, and on and on. So there's a lot of areas, and we have contradictory definitions. So I'm hoping we can get to that. Plan 2040 was meant to be a guideline to try to prompt more creativity on how we mix and match things. And so I'm hoping that through this process, we can just recreate uh, districts. I'm not all for the Houston method of abandoning it all together because uh, some of that things end up built where they shouldn't have been built so that they flood like crazy. And uh, so there are still some, some standards that are going to have to stay in place at some level. But if we can get neighborhood grocery stores, if we can get walkability which is promoted in the plan uh, but we have we don't have a code that allows that to happen now. so the, uh, the conforming non-conforming non-conforming use <laughs> yeah. yeah that's how i started reading it. <laughs> so, so yeah so because you know our current code's been amended so many times it's parts of it are just gibberish 
So it makes it really hard for anybody to uh, figure out what to do. So the planning commission, we're kind of in push and pull and figure out, get the whole discussion on the table to try to help the commissions. So we get that out. We take the main brunt of the neighbors that don't want duplexes by them, you know, and try to explain, you know, that field that's been there because nobody could develop it doesn't mean it's going to be a field forever. I mean, we even hit the point with the county where we had a group of people so worried about large-scale solar installations that they tried to tried to form a new town. So, you know, but it's just this fear of change. And once I'm there, I never want to see it change. So that's we've. I'm hoping through this and over the next two years, that's that's part of what can be out there in the public is change is not always scary. And I know Rebecca, that's a big battle. And part of that is because of you look on a map and the perception of where this is all happening because and it's because of lot sizes. So if we can have some control over lot sizes, at least in Greenfield and make it easier to subdivide lots, we might make some progress on distributing housing types throughout the city. Um, going last, everyone has touched on everything I had, but, um, from being here in the seventies, um, Lawrence has always felt like a no growth town. I don't want it to change. I want it to be what it is. And there's a fear that there's something really wonderful about Lawrence and they don't want it to change. And they translate that to, we can't change anything. And it's no growth, and the fact that we have an iron curtain, <laughs> well, the SLT is um, to speak to that, and that some of us think of it as the iron curtain. So it's it's how do we um, create the high density that everyone for the mixed use that everyone's talking about, and how do we effectively turn from a town that feels like no growth to me to a town that does smart growth. Uh, that is sustainable and walkable. I mean, when I think about retiring, I think about my 15-minute walk. Um, so it's it's things like that that I think are important to make it a city of the future. And to build a code that um, is easily understood with the graphics and, you know, if, if everyone who's wanting to develop can understand it and feel that they're not going to be rejected because... We're having people leave the town because it's hard to build here. So we need to think about those complexities as building our new plan development code. Before Philip goes on, sometimes Chair, I'll jump in. So about experience, just in Boston, and you know some of these comments. You know, walking down whether I was going to Boston University, you have these rows of you know brownstones. You know. Million dollar single family next to, you know, fourteen college kids next to a brownstone with a hairdresser at the bottom and people above next to a restaurant next to, and I was thinking that I was there and trying to go with a couple of our friends out to Saltwell. I've not been there yet, but I hear great things about it, and and thinking about how that you couldn't do that in the town, you couldn't do that in Moritz, you know. It's illegal to have a restaurant in your house, but in <laughs> the county, you can bring people and 
feed them in a small house. And again, just think about how the uses and, and the way we've done our zoning here, um, our, our strict districts have really, I, I think, limited us in that. So I would really like to look at that. Don't we have a um, use permitted upon review that allows a restaurant in the house in you these parts? Yeah. Okay. Typical. Typical. Long process. Long process. Long process. They got that. They got that. One second. Um, so, two big picture items. First one um, is Panasonic. <laughs> and I would love to see a situation where our code was nimble enough to be able to navigate what's going to hit us, you know? And Marcy's, Marcy lived through, Marcy, it, it, it was pretty incredible how quickly the legislature passed Apex, right? Mm -hmm. How long was that process? Oh, weeks, which is... Which is pretty incredible, right? Yes. So I would hope that we in our code would be able to be nimble enough to take weeks or less to be able to leverage what we don't know what these opportunities are going to be yet, but there will be opportunities. So that's number one. Uh, number two, this is kind of an odd one that um, I'm just going to kind of elaborate on, on at the lead center. We are, we, we view ourselves as a customer service organization that simply our means and our mode is the performing arts and the arts, right? Is there a way, I'm gonna ask the consultants this, mm -hmm. is, is there a way to infuse into the code a culture or DNA of customer service that when a, a project or a question comes up that, you know, there's a way it says in the code, you know, let's, let's work our way to a yes. Let's figure this out together. Collaboratively, let's partner to do this, right? Instead of, you know, you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So uh, that's, it's more of a, that's a, definitely, a, you know, the two things, Panasonic and, and culture. That's a great way to wrap up. Um, Can I add another one? I'm sorry. <laughs> I was just going to say language because there's been a lot of language brought up around the table that I don't know is we always have a clear definition on. You know, we talk about affordable housing. Are we talking about the HUD definition of what's, you know, subsidized government housing, or are we talking about generally affordable housing to everybody in the community? When we talk about density, density in Lawrence, Kansas probably looks very different than density in Boston or New York. What kind of density are we talking about when we use that language? And so just making sure that we have defined terms and that we're all on the same page when we're talking about those concepts. And I have one other thing, too, that I should have mentioned, um, because we discussed it on our sustainability advisory board. We need, as, as much as we believe that Lawrence is educated on sustainability and all of these development issues, they are not. And that's the reason you get the NIMBY sim syndrome, because people are afraid that things are going to disrupt their lives. But if they're if there's education about what does sustainability look like and infused into development, somehow we need to do boots on the ground instead of just, we don't need a pamphlet. You know, we need real life experiences for people to understand this could be cool. Not everybody can go to Boston, not everybody can go to Houston, 
many of the people in this town have not been to Boston or Houston. Um, but, but how we can get people over the hump about being afraid of change that will make their lives better, but not change that will ruin the Lawrence uh, feel and community. Just to get to both of your points, those are great. Um, one of the reasons why a project like this takes a while, you know, it takes two years or so, is because we've got to do that work of educating the community about all the different steps that we're going through and making sure that when we use terms like density, that we have a shared understanding of the concepts that we're talking about. And so it's just, we've got to be methodical. We've got to be transparent. And we'll have to, you know, start off with understanding what the big picture issues are and then bring y'all some ideas from other places about communities that have addressed some of this stuff. Maybe it's Houston, maybe it's some alternatives as well. But um, then we'll just start, you know, putting stuff on the table and see what has some traction. And then we'll start moving forward with some of those ideas. But you're exactly right. There's a lot of education here um, about these ideas because people hear the unknown and they fear change. And a lot of people are concerned about the current code because they feel like it's black box and they feel like they don't understand really the criteria that are being used to make decisions. And there's um, just some gray areas in there that are uh, just leading to uh, inconsistency. So we'll be focusing on that. And, and Derek, to get to your point about culture of customer service, that's a really good um, opportunity to just emphasize that the code doesn't operate in a vacuum. And the city of Lawrence has a lot of other efforts underway that are going to influence how effective this code is. You know, just the, the operations of the planning department and the other departments of the city are going to play a key role in how effective this, this code ultimately is. And creating that culture of service starts with the way a code is written and making sure it's user-friendly and well-illustrated and easy to understand. But it's also making sure that the staff understands how to implement that new code and how to explain the changes in the code to the public. And that when the new code goes online, we've got good training opportunities to explain to people how things might be different than what they have now. And, and, and maybe moving forward, it's doing things like assigning ambassadors to major projects so that you, you know you're going to have a consistent staff member to shepherd something through all the way. We can bring in examples of things like that that have been done in other places. But you're right. There needs to be an attitude from the city that, yeah, we, we've identified what we want to see in this new code. We haven't just said what we want to prohibit. We've, we've described what we want, and this is how we're going to make it easy for you to get there. I think that's an important part of these projects. Um, but y'all are doing a lot of stuff in Lawrence, and I just want to make that point. We're going to, one of our jobs is to make sure that we understand the full planning and regulatory and political context of all this stuff so we can help move, move forward with those other parts. You all have a lot of experience um, with projects like this, Lawrence. Um, what are our biggest challenges? What are, what, are, what are you kind of sitting there not saying, but you're thinking we need to really know about? So televised meeting here. It's a really general thing, but I think the overall timeline is kind of concerning. So I totally understand why it has to be two years yeah. long, but say Austin, Texas, for example, has been in the midst of Code Next talks for like five years now. Yeah. Meanwhile, their housing costs have skyrocketed to be some of the worst in the nation. So like we're already sitting on an affordable housing crisis. We probably have some ideas that are generally agreeable upon early on. Is there any chance, and I don't know if you necessarily have the answer to this is more of a city commission or planning department thing to implement something because at this point we basically closed off two of the pressure escape valves yeah. for growing population it's really hard to annex and it's also really hard to do and fill development just like it's always been yeah so like now we got two years where basically the clock has stopped but the 
ticker keeps going up in terms of prices. So it, it seems a little bit urgent to get get something out there at least. So it, it is a bit of a question for the city uh, and we, we don't want to kind of rejigger the scope right now. <laughs> but I'll, I'll tell you that as we, as we do these projects sometimes, we get that question a lot. And sometimes we start talking about low-hanging fruit or just really emergency issues that maybe should be properly and maybe should be looked at through short-term amendments while the rest of the process goes on in the background. Now, I'll tell you, there's there's pros and cons to that kind of approach, because anytime you start to kind of front load something, uh, it's going to take energy away potentially from the larger project. Um, so you always need to be aware of that concern, but we've done that a number of times. I, I worked in a community in Arizona, and uh, we were doing a large uh, zoning code update like this, but they decided to front load the protection for their native cacti because that was a really important thing to that community and they had an emergency situation where they were losing those. Uh, they also wanted to really front load multifamily design standards because they were getting what they felt were really poor quality apartments. So they front loaded that piece. And we have examples of other ways of front loading pieces. So you can do it. You just always need to think about the trade-offs in terms of demands on your staff to, to shepherd multiple projects at the same time and things like that. But it's a great idea to think about. And, and as we roll out the assessment report and we start to give you a list of all the different things to move forward on, priorities will start to emerge in your minds. And, and there might start to be a consensus on maybe some things should start to move forward. Good question. Thanks, Phelps. And you have to correct me if I'm wrong. So annexation, we're looking at annexation policy. I'm looking at now. We are. Yeah, so that's, that's moving ahead. We also have two neighborhood plans that are currently underway, one west of K-Tan and the other is in East Lawrence at the moment. Yes, we're identified as the top top priorities in the implementing plan 2040. So we're annexation and getting neighborhood plans going. So for clarity, Brad, you were saying, uh, and Jeff, you were saying that, that so annexation is, is being looked at right now. How does that translate into timeline? You know, it's been something we've had on the table for a while now, and annexation is governed by state statute more than it is by the land development code. So it's just a way of having those policies in place to kind of help link back into what Plan 2040 says when policies for, or excuse me, when someone brings an annexation forward. That's been working on it for a while. We've gotten some other projects that have popped up and as kind of Matt alluded to, slowed down some of the workload on it, but it's ongoing. We hope to be wrapping it up in the year, but... Calendar year. Yeah. That, that's the hope. But as we've all kind of learned in recent times, um, you know, anything can pop up that we weren't expecting. So we hope to hold true to that. This kind of brings up one concern. I'm sorry, Phil. I, I don't care. I'm just gonna you're asking for landmines out mm -hmm. here, right? Yeah. Uh, so um mine is uh plan 2040. I'm not a fan of it. Uh, and if we're designing this your work around 2040, then I think you're starting with potentially some flawed beginnings. And when we were talking in an earlier meeting today about infrastructure, uh, you made a similar comment, and, and then you you elaborated on some of the, the annexation policies and the tier one, tier three, tier three, and the community benefit concepts. Right, right. And uh, that, that's, that's what you're suggesting might be a yeah and 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 you know 2040 is built so much around that tier one tier two and tier three concept i mean it is it is totally um, intertwined through everything throughout there that uh, i think cleaning that up it, 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 
is 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 needed, and uh, you know, and I think that affects all of 2040. That a lot of the language. I mean, that's 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 where I'm coming from. Yeah, and it is a key part of the growth and development section in Plan 2040. But there is a lot of Plan 2040 beyond that growth and development section that, that provides really good guidance on things like multimodal transportation and, and sustainability. Yeah, but, but Yeah, yeah. <laughs> about three paragraphs in chapter three, basically, because yeah. everything, nothing else had, had any controversy when it came out of the planning commission, went to the city commission, but for three paragraphs, and it was the community benefit, and then whether it should be may or shall and another one. But then it went around to the county commission back, I mean, it went around twice yeah. before it was approved, but it was all about three paragraphs, basically because there weren't many negative comments about anything else in that plan during the process. It all focused on the annexation policy and the community benefit, which is why the planning commission identified getting annexation rules done as the highest priority. And that's underway. One comment, Gary, sorry, yeah, not, not specifically about the code, but about how this lands um, over time. Um, Every large-scale transformation project I've seen that's failed has been because change management adoption has been under-resourced. Um, I don't know how Planning Commission stays so calm with everything that's going on. You guys work your brains out from impossibly early to impossibly late. There's questions about prioritization. There, I, I just want to make sure that as a community that we understand what's required, what Jeff needs in terms of resources, um, the money, the scope, the ability to help with to get help in prioritization, the number of things that are on their plate right now, it's just impossible to all get done. How do we help make sure that they've got what they need, the right priorities in the air cover to be successful getting this done? Yeah. And we've got to make sure that they're covered. I like your phrase change management um, because it is absolutely a lot of fundamental systemic change that's, that's potentially on the table. I, I like Nick's reference to Code Next in Austin as an example. Um, some of you might not be familiar with that, but Austin, obviously a much bigger city, embarked on a comprehensive code update a number of years ago. And uh, it was a it was a, uh, a complex project for a complex that was growing very fast. But in terms of this change management issue, they did some things in the management of that project that really hurt them in the end in terms of not being methodical, not trying to educate the community about the incremental steps as they moved along, not trying to uh, just uh, develop a shared understanding of some of those key concepts. And so they, as an example, they released a full draft of a thousand plus page code uh, at one time without a whole lot of, you know, annotations or, or examples. And, and it, was, it was an example of how I think you can, I, it was done for understandable reasons, and staff resources and things, but in terms of change management, it was a shock to the system. And it resulted in a lot of immediate pushback uh, from some parts of the community that could have been avoided if it had been a more methodical uh, managed process. Single greatest source of failure. Single greatest Let's get to uh, uh, was first, I think. In the okay, so I want to say we've, we're all interested in affordable housing, mm -hmm. but I think we need to recognize that new construction is not going to be the majority or any 
of affordable housing. So the idea that you can build something now that makes it affordable without some kind of subsidies is not gonna happen. So we're not going to make rules that make new construction affordable. So we're gonna to continue to look at existing housing or changes to hotels or other existing properties provide that affordable housing. Potentially historic resources as well. Right. So, and does that go back to our, our definition of terms though, right? So you're using affordable housing in one specific circumstance, not generally market-based affordable housing. Right. Right. Okay. Right. So, I mean, again, we need to be careful about our language that we're using. Ab absolutely. But I'm just saying, you know, the idea that we can change enough things in our code mm -hmm. to make building um, available for people that earn $45,000 a year. If there are costs to development and construction and materials that are not going to let that happen. Let's go to Rebecca and then Tim. Um, a thought on that process that we do have an affordability crisis in this two-year does make me very nervous. Have you seen communities that have done some pilot projects to test the new ideas in that interim? with any success? Because I, I, I feel like that could be a solution where if you're very transparent that we're going to try this out and see what happens, particularly on an affordable housing development so that we can test, like, if we remove parking in this that lowers our cost, does the world end or not? Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. and that we, we do that, we can do that with a few things in the meantime, which actually allow us to test what those incentives are, what incentives are needed to make it more affordable or dense. Yeah, uh, yeah and I would kind of answer with the same uh, short-term amendments concept that I mentioned earlier. Sometimes that short-term amendment idea can be used to test new approaches or, um, or just to, to, to test, to, to, to rewrite parts of the code that are just especially broken. So you can go ahead and get that out of the way and maybe test some new ideas about code structure or something along the way that you can roll out in a larger way. I've seen communities rewrite their parking standards uh, as a first step and use that as a uh, template for rewriting the overall code. So that could be an example. You also just made a point about incentives that's really worth mentioning at this table. Um, one of the real uh, benefits that we often get from a group like this is figuring out what incentives are meaningful to you. Because we often hear, yeah, we want to have flexibility. We want to build incentives into the code. But uh, incentives uh, oftentimes can be local, you know, and you all know specific pressure points in the system that you think uh, you would like some relief from. So that's something to be keeping in mind is this feedback that we'd like to hear from you all is incentives that you think are meaningful. Uh, uh, I was going to make one quick point was that it's possible we don't have an affordability and housing issue if we maybe have higher wages too. You know, I mean, some of the, some of the, some better jobs might also pay more, and then we don't have a, as large of an affordable housing issue too. Um, the, lar the largest employers we have too is we don't have much of a commercial tax base. You know, some of our biggest employers are university, hospital. Uh, USD 497. Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of those, yeah, a lot of those are not 
you know, property tax paying businesses. So if we had maybe a little bit different tax base, maybe some of these things, different employers here, larger employer base, maybe some of those issues might resolve themselves as well. Stepping outside our scope. We'll yeah, right. Sure. <laughs> so if we're talking about concerns or landmines, I mean, I think, I think there's two perceptions that come to my mind that are going to be sort of the elephant in the room. One is that there is a perception that the city of Lawrence is a no growth, no development place that the planning department, Jeff knows I like him a lot, but they ha- the planning department has a reputation for being difficult and being hard to get projects through and the process is overly onerous. And I think that deters a lot of projects from even getting started. And so overcoming that perception and sort of the flip side of that, and maybe a competing perception is there is a perception among some in the community that developers are bad, that I don't know if it's generations of kids watching Scooby-Doo where you pull off the mask and it's always a real estate developer under there. But there is this perception that real estate developers are the bad guy. And most of our developers here in Lawrence are people that have lived here their whole life. Or, you know, they've got kids or grandkids that go to school here. They care about the community as much as anybody. And trying to overcome that perception and getting away from, from both of those perceptions so that we can get back to a more collaborative approach and actually work towards that common good, I think is, is a big, like I said, elephant in the room we're going to have to deal with. Okay. Um, so, sorry, do you want to go? No, I was just going to say Panasonic is going to change things <laughs> because whether we want to, whether we'd like to, we're going to grow. <clears throat> So we have to address that as part of this. What zoning districts and land uses do we need then to be prepared? Right. And and that's what we need to discuss. But it's not only Panasonic. It's the other businesses that are coming along with that. Yeah. So we have an opportunity to welcome that. Um, But it's coming nonetheless so, so their two years just got cut down to six months <laughs> <laughs> but what what districts and uses do we need i mean well one other communities have faced similar you know pressures from big uh, new employers like that and one of the things we'll need to look at is a, a new slate of districts that allow the density that a lot of you all have been calling for at scales and informs that protects surrounding stable neighborhoods that can be served with the infrastructure that you have that can be done efficiently and through procedures that often are by right or quick um, with some predictability. Um, so I think giving you a toolbox, a zoning toolbox that allows for some developments like that is a good start, you know, to accommodate some of the growth pressures that you're likely to see. Now, this is an important thing to emphasize. We're giving you a zoning toolbox that's going to have a revised lineup of districts. We're not rewriting the zoning map as part of this process. And so that's just important to keep in mind. We can think about those areas in concept, and we can think about where a neighborhood commercial node, you know, makes sense in concept. We don't have to necessarily apply it to the map that is part of this process. Now, oftentimes communities will follow up projects like this immediately with changes to the zoning map where they can apply those new tools. 
that doesn't have to be the case. And, and one of the parts of change management that we haven't gotten to in this conversation yet, but we will, is helping you think through ultimately changes to the zoning map that might make sense. And again, this is another category where there's probably going to be some low-hanging fruits that you want to go ahead and tackle immediately. And some of this stuff is going to take longer. You know, if you come up with some significantly new mixed-use districts that you don't have anything like now, you're probably not going to want to apply that immediately. You're going to want to go through more of your neighborhood plans and think about where those would apply. But, but you'll have them in the toolbox. But maybe some of the simple zoning district consolidations or some of the tweaks that can that can be happen, that can happen immediately. But We'll, we'll get there. We'll get to those conversations about um, change management, I love the phrase. But it, it's, it's just keep in mind, we're not necessarily doing the zoning map right now. Um, Almost out of time here. No, so you had a comment that I interrupted? Oh, sorry. Um, so you mentioned this in your proposal, and I don't know if it is hardwired into the scope, but you mentioned that there are other things that affect the built environment that aren't necessarily the zoning code. If you've been to Houston, you've as you said, you know, it doesn't have a zoning code. Sure looks pretty suburban outside the urban core, though. It looks extremely like every other city in the country. And I think the reason is it's not the only way to achieve the built environment through the zoning code. Even if you don't have one, you can still make it look just like everywhere else. So there are, are other documents and regulations that the city of Lawrence has that make the city look the way it does. Subdivision regulations, I believe, are actually in the land development code, but I do think those kind of bear special uh, concern. The design standards from um, the municipal services organization govern how wide streets can be and how curvy they can be and specify some pretty wide streets that are frankly probably unnecessary um, even from the fire code standpoint and then there's also the um, building code so i'm not that kind of engineer i'm not an architect but there's recently been a couple of developments around the country that have been taking a hard look at the ibc which is pretty much universally adopted at this at this space and seeing how can we tweak it a little bit to allow stuff that used to be perfectly fine and now all of a sudden isn't like a single loaded apartment building, right? Like only a single staircase, not really loud anymore, right? And then there's the plan 2040, like uh, Philip was saying, where, you know, do we really go about the benefit, the community benefit correctly? Is it, should it maybe just be something quantifiable instead of subjective and rather rather capricious? Is there a better way to do this, right? So I don't know if your scope applies to that or not, or if there's a way to spin off side projects, but as a as representative of the transportation sector, there's really only so far we can go um, with the zoning code before we start to have to look about why are the building space so far away from each other because the street design standards, right? So uh, the scope of this project is within the zone. So that's strictly what we're looking at. But again, we need to understand the context that the zoning code operates within. And that means all those other departments that you mentioned. That means public works. That means uh, building. That means code enforcement. And so as part of the stakeholder interviews that Elizabeth talked about, we've been reaching out to those other departments to try to understand how they interact with code, zoning code, where some of the, the conflict points might be. And so uh, where we hear about those things, you know, we capture that. And, and uh, maybe it's not going to result in a change in the code itself, but it might result in some commentary in the assessment report or, or some middle along the way. But we, we, again, try to just understand the system within which the code operates. We, we want this thing to be successful. And so we recognize that that's going to have to result in changes outside the code as well. Okay. We are supposed to be done at six. We have a little bit more time. Okay. We have a little public comment. We have a little time for public comments. Okay. Uh, should we stop now? Can yes. I address yeah. community benefit yeah. fast. It was left wishy-washy in plan 2040 in anticipation of getting definition in this process. 
which is why right now it's very subjective mm-hmm. and nobody knows what it means. Okay, that makes we're, sense. We're defining it. We're supposed to define it now. Okay. <clears throat> Should we stop now for public comments? Yeah, let's do that. Then uh, make sure we have time. So obviously, um, there's lots of chances for public comment, but we do have a couple people from the public here. That uh, I hope there's Ron. Anyone have anything they want to say? And in the in this set part of the session. Delighted to hear the conversations today. Um, I'm a current member of the Affordable Housing Advisory Board with Rebecca. And so the uh, emphasis in your comments about how do we make housing more affordable, how can we promote mixed-use neighborhoods, how can we overcome the resistance to density initiatives, all of those are uh, high priority to me. I, I would say the, the comment that I think um, I agree with the most is that uh, is in regards to Panasonic. We're going to be overwhelmed with a tsunami of market forces by Panasonic. The number I've heard is that the total population increase direct from Panasonic hires, from all the subs, all the suppliers, family members that come in, we could be looking at a Northeast Kansas increase in population as a result of the plant approaching 100,000 people. And I don't think we've got any idea uh, yet how to get Lawrence ready for that. Now, they're not all coming here. Imagine what would happen to our property values if even 10% of them tried to come here. But we're going to be the bright blue spot in a red state that a lot of technology workers, a lot of recent college graduates, a lot of young families are going to be looking for opportunities to live here. They're going to crush our real estate market. We've just got to have more housing across the board. And I look forward to the discussion that you all have to help get us there. Thank you. Chris, okay. In other words, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> it's coming. Uh, Michael Allman, Sustainability Action Network. Thanks for the opportunity. Um, my organization focuses a lot on um, climate issues, energy issues, and how the built environment is affected by all that. Um, one reason that we are so much interested in density is because we want preservation of our prime farmland. We saw the process taking place and we're grateful uh, for Lawrence to develop Plan 2040 that tries to stem urban sprawl by going towards density and mixed use. Um, but we see it not just for the purpose of preserving farmland, uh, but when you, when you have more density and not extending infrastructure as far out, you save costs the cost of extending infrastructure goes up exponentially the farther out you go. Uh, I think everybody understands that. Uh, but in the bigger picture, with the question of infrastructure, there's, what is the, what is the relationship of how we extend infrastructure to how we plan where we're going to grow? And this morning I mentioned, you know, that there seems to be a breakdown in the discussion between um, 
the utility department with their master utility plan to extend infrastructure and the planning department with where and how we're gonna grow. How does that conversation play out in this discussion here? You know, which dog is, is which tail is wagging which dog there? Um, that same question also applies to extending roads. I think everybody in this room probably understands that, that roads spur development and development triggers growth of roads. You know, they both reinforce each other. That question is gonna be played out in this discussion here, I would assume. So those, those are two big issues that I think are important. Also, the third one is the density and mixed use question that has all kinds of benefits beyond just preserving farmland from sprawl. Um, it's the infrastructure cost. Uh, it's the efficiency of the use of the scarce land. If we have land within the city that is subdivided into 10 smaller lots instead of two big lots, uh, it's much more efficient use. Uh, it brings it more closer to being affordable, even at market rates. I don't know, I can't pencil it myself. Um, but in theory, that would make sense. Um, it improves the benefit for transit. Transit reaches a threshold of efficiency and ridership with the concentration, more concentration of, of population um, and affordability. We all know that a denser use of land makes it more affordable. When I think of affordable and mixed use land, I think of what Brad said about brownstones. Maybe that could be part of the vision we have here, you know, to achieve that mixed use. And I, I have to disagree with you, Mr. Strugel. Having been on the receiving end of an industrial salvage yard immediately adjacent to residences in my neighborhood that we fought for six years, I don't want a free-for-all and carte blanche for commercial everywhere in my neighborhood. Some kind of commercial use, yes, like uh, accessory commercial uses. Um, you know, the things like Brad mentioned that we have a restaurant next to, um, you know, a dwelling next to a bunch of college students. You know, that can be done and it could be done rentals and owner uh, it, I think it's going to take a creative discussion how we get this all to fit together. But I think um, increasing height and density is going to be a key part of that. And then coordinating the infrastructure build out and the plan for where we're going to grow is going to be another big part of that. And I'm going to have a lot of particular detailed proposals that I'm going to bring back to this group about some of that. A lot of it having to do with multimodal transportation and transit and how we can achieve a reduction in our carbon footprint. And I was glad to see that at the head of the list, the purpose of what you're doing here today is climate change. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, well, thanks for the, the comments. And I think we have a little next steps. There might be someone on Zoom. Yeah, oh, Zoom, that's true. Any public comment on Zoom? Come on, Kyle. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, that brings us to the last, which is kind of next steps. Where do we go from here? I'm not sure who's, I think we have a little. I think we have one short slide on. <clears throat> 
skip up to one more. Okay, so our next steps on the project um, are to consider how to expand this first round of community outreach and like to get more voices into the project. And so we're I'm thinking about ways virtual and in real life to um, expand that. It will probably take us a couple of weeks with staff to talk it through and get our next steps going. We'll share that with everybody as we do. Our next product is the code assessment. And um, we will start drafting that. It usually takes us a few months to get through it, to gather all the input, particularly if we're going to do some more outreach. So um, we will probably be meeting with you guys sometime later this year. The beginning of the project, it takes a minute for everything to come together and get rolling. And so we're not going to um, ask you to meet regularly at this point in time. We're going to ask you to meet irregularly when there's something to look at and something to talk about. Um, so we will get everyone an update about the upcoming schedule um, and let you know when we're going to ask you to be back and talk about this. Also, as we get that second round outreach put together, we'll invite everybody again. It's been really nice to spend time with you. And um, so we encourage your involvement and in all of that also. So those are our short next few steps. And um, I actually think we're going to try to do one more thing um, tonight. I'll just stay up here and back up the slide. So the boards that we shared at the outreach meetings are outside. Matt mentioned that earlier. And they're simple dot exercise boards or uh, write a comment board. So um, you guys have, I'm sorry, proven yourselves expert in the subject. So we're not <laughs> going to give you a ton of explanation, but the boards ask you to leave a comment um, about something you like, something you don't like, um, where you live, and questions you might have about the project. You're welcome to go look at them and just see what we're asking the public to do to participate. You're also welcome to participate. If you had anything that you weren't able to say tonight that you want to say and you want to add to it, um, we'll use the boards again as we do more outreach, and we're going to consider how um, to turn them into an electronic product. Our encouragement as you leave tonight is to kind of promote that survey. Let people know this project is going and get them involved. We really appreciate that. We have a lot more of these cards. So you yeah. guys all should take a cluster for your friends. And your family. Right. Flags. Yes. Take these, ask people to, to give their input. And, and, and certainly, you know, we encourage all of you to, you know, many of you are selected because you will associate with some, something or someone. And so please go back to those communities, tell them what's going on, tell them about the process, get their input um, and, and bring it back either virtually or at our next meetings. Um, I think this is gonna be an exciting process and important process. And again, thank you all for being here and, and I look forward to working with you again. Again, it might be a little bit before you hear from us again. That's not because they're not doing anything. <laughs> we don't know, to be determined. Try and get to see where we get, get to. But, um, We'll go from there. It'll, it'll pick up the pace later and after we get in, but. We want an update within a month. Oh yeah, we'll definitely have updates. We'll definitely see emails and otherwise. We might not all get together for a little while until we have some more to to, to process, but uh, never fear, there'll be plenty of these in time. A so. big thank you to the city commission for initiating this. Um, it's really important. And a thank you to the staff and the consultant um, I think we're getting off on a great start. Yeah. And stop by the boards on your way out. Okay, thank you. Thank you, everyone, thank you. on Zoom. <laughs>